Well, I was sent some notes because you're in the middle of a series, I gather, and uh, a series called Living Faith, and I've got the sort of outline for that, and uh, it highlighted different verses, and I've managed to incorporate them all. So if you're following that, um, you should sort of find it all matches in with, with that series. Um, there were four subjects that were listed, just simply, and with, some, with four references, and we'll sort of go through those, and we'll kind of more come to the Hebrews passage towards the end, sort of make it a bit different, really. But look at it in the light of the Hebrews passage when we looked at the individual subjects. So the first one uh, that was noted was pruning. And as you're looking at purifying, you get various different elements uh, to purify things. And one of the images that Jesus uses to purify us, he talks about pruning. And you'll know that well-known passage in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and, and so on. And, he write, and, and Jesus says this uh, very early on in that passage. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. All fruitful trees are pruned in order that they may produce more fruit. We know that. I don't know how many of you have trees in your garden. Gardens these days are getting smaller and smaller, so it's unlikely that some of you have a tree anywhere in your garden. Um, But I remember when I was working on a farm in the summertime, when I was at school, um, there was a thing called brutting. Can anyone tell me what that means? You're good country folk, or are you really town folk in disguise? <laughs> Don't know what brutting is? No. Do you know what apple trees look like? Yeah. Do you know what happens around May, June time? Little straight sort of bits of wood grow up on the branches. You've got to pull all of those off. Otherwise, the light won't get through and ripen the fruit. You leave them on, you just get shade all over your growing apples. It doesn't do them any good at all. And it takes off the goodness in the branch up this brut, as it's called in Kent. I don't know whether it's the same word in Sussex. Maybe it's different. (laughs) So, yes, pruning is, is very important right up to the time where fruit is about to be picked. So, Jesus is using that image in terms of the vine. Um, do any of you have a vine? Anyone got a vine? My neighbour's got one. Oh, you have one. All right. I had one. Um, I lived in College Road at one point, and, but the vine didn't belong to me. It was over the other, it was the other guy's garden. They grew over the fence and all down my side and gave me loads of fruit. I don't know how much he got. <laughs> and they were red eating grapes, so I took them to dinner parties, and people were stunned that I was bringing fresh grapes out of my garden for a party. And uh, yeah, they're very nice. And I thought that was, I, I, you know, didn't think to do anything else with the vine, except when a Middle Eastern guy came and stayed with me and he picked the leaves and cooked that. You know rice in vine leaves that you get in a Greek restaurant? Well, he cooked the Lebanese version of it. It's very tasty. No, vine, uh, vine leaves out of a Sussex garden. There you go. So we know what the theory is. But when it comes to ourselves, quite often... We're resistant to God dealing with us in that way. And that's the, that's the key test in purifying our hearts as we go through the Christian life. Are we resisting God's pruning activity? Then there's cleansing. 
In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He says, cleanse ourselves. That seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Because our tradition, certainly in evangelical tradition, is that God does the cleansing. We just submit to the cleansing. But Paul here says, clean yourselves up. <laughs> um, so there is an element to which we are going to have to do some work as well. It's not just submission to God and you know, being grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that is the basic reason why we are able to be cleansed but we have got to in one sense cleanse ourselves and that goes back to temple worship when, when you go to, into the temple, the old temple system that you read about in the Old Testament you'll find that you can't get very far without doing some cleansing a bit like in the children's talk, you wash your hands you've got to, you've got to prepare yourself you're not allowed to go into the worship area of the temple without being clean. You can, yeah, you can turn up. You could turn up at the temple and you get about as far as the court of the Gentiles. You weren't allowed anywhere inside anyway, but, you know. Um, that is it. We have to be clean even though we are God's children. That cleansing was the instruction to the Jews. They were children of God. And we likewise are children of God. So we too have to cleanse ourselves in preparation for worship. Some traditions of the church have it that you shouldn't come to church without preparation beforehand. And so on. You know, there are these sort of traditions. They all come out of scripture. And when Paul is writing about defilement, he's also talking about the temple system. And we all get defiled in different ways. In the Old Testament, you'll read of particular rules and regulations in Leviticus where people were technically defiled and they couldn't go to the temple. So yes, we can find cleansing for ourselves in Christ. But we have to do some work ourselves. It's not just going to be done for us. And the other word that was in the list to study was purity. Now in John's letter, the first letter that he writes, he says this, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, he's talking purifies himself. Something we have to do. Something we have to be aware of doing in our lives is purifying ourselves. And that's actually probably a lot more difficult in the world in which we live when this was written, there was not what we would nowadays call media. But every time you open a newspaper, every time you switch on the TV, you download into your mind masses and masses of stuff. Some of which you need to know. Some of which is horrendous stuff, even in the news bulletins. I noted the other day that the entire first 20 minutes of the 6 o'clock news on BBC in the evening was entirely consumed by sexual deviance and misbehaviour and paedophile. I don't know what else they were talking about. But 20 minutes, that's the majority of that news bulletin, was on sexual immorality. Which just tells you something of what goes on in our country at this time if they have to spend that amount of time reporting it. Well, you don't want to spend your life thinking like that consuming that amount of information on it 
So there's a sense in which you have to enable these things to sort of go by and then get on purifying your own life and, and so on. So there's plenty of impurity about, and it tends to come at you without really you asking for it. Um, you don't probably want to switch off the news altogether. I did have a colleague um, way back in the years when I commuted to London <coughs> who, like me, had come back from living overseas, and we'd both lived in countries where there was no television, um, not much radio, a few newspapers. And it was very relaxing, very relaxing. I had the habit of reading a book on my train journey to London. He had the habit of picking up the Daily Mail or Daily Telegraph or something. And after a couple of weeks, he said, I'm getting depressed. I said, what are you doing going to London? He said, I'm reading the newspaper. I said, I'm not surprised. I said, you haven't been reading the newspaper for years. I said, well, what do you get out of it? He said, oh, it's all doom and gloom and bad news. I said, yeah. I said, what do you buy it for? <laughs> so he stopped and he went to the library and got a nice relaxing book and went up to London every day reading a nice relaxing book instead. So you see, it, it, there's changes that sometimes you have to make to your lifestyle to enable you to be pure. But it again, in this passage, it's reflecting back into the temple practice and what goes on at the temple. Everything in the temple had to be pure and there were all sorts of particular rituals that the Jewish priests would go through to make things pure. Because everything in God's sight has to be pure. And so it brings us to the fourth element of this study that you're doing, which is holiness. And when it comes to that, Peter, in his first letter, he writes this, Be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Very short, sharp instruction from God to his children. Be holy like I am holy. But when you unpack it and begin to think about it, you think, how on earth can I be holy like God? And in a way, that brings us to the point where we really have to say, how do I do this, any of this stuff? We don't do it in our own strength. We put our wills in the right direction. We put ourselves to move in that direction. But basically, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to come in. Because what is amazing about the work of God in Christ is that having fulfilled that work, and Jesus went to heaven, he then sent the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will be the one energizing us in that direction. So in simple terms, it's about submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't do that, we don't stand a great deal of chance other than trying ever and ever in our own strength. And that's not what God intended. He didn't intend it for us to be a great big burden of rules and regulations. Some people, I know, even they kind of make rules and regulations almost to satisfy themselves. There's some kind of desire to have some, something that means they can do it on their own. That's not what God intends. He intends us to be open to the power of the Holy Spirit that will then energize us to move into these areas and, and to be holy. And to set apart our lives for God in, in whatever way that means. For some of, some of us, like me, it meant going into full-time ministry. And when I left Lindfield in May 1987 to drive to Cyprus, 
which I did. I drove there. It takes a long time, but I got there. <laughs> um, I was moving into full-time ministry in that time as a missionary. But that's not for everybody. I, d- I hadn't done that kind of thing uh, previously. I'd just been a, an ordinary person who went to work, did a job, and then did some work in the church or whatever, wherever I was living in the world, tried to do something there. But whatever it is, we need to set ourselves apart and we need to be in submission to the Holy Spirit. So we need to be able to... So people, when they see us, they know there's a difference. They know we're Christians or something, something about us that's different. So that's because we're not under the law. So it's not like we've got to go back to the Old Testament and try and work out all these laws and... I think there's 638 commandments or something that the Jews have to call into the Orthodox rabbis anyway. Um, well, fortunately, we don't have to do it that way. I know an Orthodox rabbi, he's a very nice guy, and he has to try and keep all those 638 laws, but we don't. In that way, we have received the Holy Spirit, and we can keep the law of Christ. And so we can keep the laws of God in, in the way that he meant in our hearts. So... The reason I chose the Hebrews chapter 12 passage is that it actually goes into quite a bit of detail about how we are to actually establish ourselves and what we should do. And there's uh, imagery of an athlete, um, which, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment. But first, right at the beginning, Paul, uh, not Paul, uh, the writer of the Hebrews, they don't think it's necessarily Paul, but... Um, the writer says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So there's something we have to do. We have to get rid of everything that is in the way of enabling us to live pure lives. And that sometimes is an effort. You know, Sometimes things do get in the way. All manner of things. Relationships go wrong. Uh, things happen at work. Things happen in the church. It says, don't let roots of bitterness grow up. All these kinds of things can get in the way. We don't sort of like make one decision and then everything just sails. That would be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) Everything sails plainly off afterwards. No, it doesn't work like that. So we must throw off every weight that prevents us moving forward. Second, we need to recognize that the Christian life is a long-haul process. It is like a race, like the, the writer is sort of talking about this. Um, fixing our eyes on Jesus and sort of throwing off everything that gets in the way. If you, I don't know if you've seen some of the interviews with Olympic athletes, but their disciplined lifestyle is a challenge to almost any Christian. They're up early in the morning, they're out there training, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're following a strict diet. They don't, you know. Why? They want to win the race. And they will not be able to do it unless they live that self-disciplined life. And that's the challenge that this writer makes. I remember, um, I don't know about you, but uh, I haven't done that much sport in recent times. You can probably tell. But anyway, uh, when I was at school, I was a lot slimmer and fitter. And I was in the cross-country team. This was over in Tunbridge. And we got a new uh, PE master and I was in the cross-country team, and this new guy came, and he'd previously, he'd been a teacher and trainer at Chatham Naval College. 
So suddenly he started treating us like a bunch of naval cadets, <laughs> which is a bit different. We weren't just going for a quiet jog to keep fit. We were going on 12-mile marches and running and, <laughs> you know, was, and then we found out why he was doing it. These Chatham Naval Cadets were going to come and compete with us one day, and he wanted us to be every single one of them. He didn't want one of them to come in before any of us. And he succeeded. We all came in first. The first mistake the poor guys made from Chatham, they hadn't done their homework on our course. We had what is called a classic bog run in the middle. They were wearing plimsolls. You won't get out the other end of that bog run with your plimsolls on. I'll tell you, they'll have come off halfway through. <laughs> So he really had prepared us well, but we had to be disciplined to do it. We had to submit to that kind of discipline. And it was quite a shock, the kind of stuff he was getting us to do. And so this is why the writers that he was saying, you know, we must, we must do this. But there's one other thing, and that applies, I think, as much when you're younger, but especially as you get older, I find you're... Reference points in life change as you get older. But you eventually realise you've got a destination. Now, for many people in this world, destination equals death. Well, I deal with death a lot in the hospital, but that's not my destination. That's why I'm probably different to a lot of people I meet. Death is not my destination. My destination is to meet with Jesus. So the writer of the Hebrews says, keep your eyes fixed on him that's your destination and if you keep that as your destination all the other things that happen to you begin to fall into another category they don't trouble you in quite the same way yes we will have troubles and we will have difficulties but it won't get in that way so I would suggest that in total as we look at this idea of purifying our hearts and all that we've looked at this morning Keep our focus on Jesus, and that will become a much easier task. Amen.